today is our last morning in the book of First Peter. Um, we have worked through the, we started in February and we're finishing today. And um, I want to make some space for reflection this morning. And so I'll give some details to jog your memory, but be thinking uh, what stands out for you from the past six months. Um, sort of sitting with the themes. How has First Peter challenged you? How has it encouraged you? Uh, how has God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit met you in the book of First Peter? Uh, what do you want to remember from this season? Some of you are new guests, and so we're really thankful for you to be here. And so feel free to um, riff off of what other people said. Um, you're welcome to do that, or just to sit and, and listen. You're um, welcome to do that. Kathy is going to read the closing passage for us this morning, the final uh, five verses of First Peter. That's right. <laughs> Our scripture reading for today is from 1 Peter 5, 10 through 14. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, did I say that right? Sure. Um, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are thankful for the book of 1 Peter. We're thankful for your word. Uh, and we receive Peter's words to the early church as words to us. Uh, we receive his blessing um, as blessing to us. Peace be to us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would grant us peace, uh, that you would grant us grace, that you would help us to stand firm in the faith of First Peter in the person of Jesus. Uh, we love you. Uh, we're thankful for your care for us. Uh, we're thankful for the freedom that we have to gather uh, weekly to uh, sing and to uh, confess sin, to take communion, to gather and fellowship, and then also to uh, hear the word of God preached. I pray that this morning would be a sweet time of reflecting on the ways that you have spoken to us over the last six months. We love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I grew up in uh, a big extended family, and we would gather together. My mom has three sisters, and then there's a bunch of cousins. Um, but there was an uncle who only came every like 12 to 18 months. Um, and so I wouldn't see him very much. And it was pretty funny because I would always have the same kind of conversation with Uncle Martin. Um, he just would ask me the same like three or four questions um, every 12 months. I would just have, I would have the same conversations where it's like, how are you, how are your grades? Still interested in pre-med, he was a doctor, so that was what he was really like wanting for me. Um, and just a few things, and I just knew I had to like answer those few questions and then ask him about his like tennis habit. And, um, and, then, and then we'd be done, and we would do the same thing 12 months later. Um, and uh, conversations are really funny um, in the way they 
work, we really need a diversity of conversation to know, know people, right? We need small talk. We need to have those sort of yeah. things that we can just kind of fall into. Um, but we also need longer conversations. We need to linger. We need to hear people's stories. We need to ask them, like, where are you from? And, um, and then let that lead to deeper questions. We need to go deep uh, on a certain topic where if we learn that somebody's an expert in something, oh, tell me about that. Teach me um, what you know. I need to be able to teach people what I know. Um, we need to just have all kinds of conversations uh, with each other in order to know each other well. That's true of scripture too. Uh, scripture, we need to have a diversity of conversations with scripture in order to know it well. We need to sort of be able to kind of small talk with scripture where we're just like diving in um, just occasionally, just sort of like skirting across the surface. Um, but then we also need to dig deep. Um, we need to be prayerful. We need to be emotional. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be nerdy. Um, there's all kinds of ways that we want to engage scripture. And at Citizens, our usual practice is preaching expositionally. That's what we tend to do most of the time. And that means that we take a chunk of the Bible and we preach through it from beginning to end. So that's what we've done with First Peter. We've also done that with the book of Luke and Hebrews. We've done it with small books like Haggai and Ruth. And this is different from topical preaching, uh, which takes the topic and then tries to find wisdom on that topic from all of scripture. Um, and so in the past, we've done that as well. Like we've done topical series on rest, relationships, politics, work. Um, we did one on waiting at the start of COVID um, because that's all, what all of us were doing. Um, but our church primarily uh, preaches expositionally through extended sections of scripture. And there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, first, uh, it protects you from my personal obsessions, uh, from things that I might sort of be interested in, like in a faddish sort of way, hobby horses that I might have. And uh, so topical preaching can be helpful. Um, our next series is on wealth, which is a topical series. Um, it's often really helpful to do a deep dive on a topic, especially things that are really central to our lives but don't come up much. And so, hey, let's like spend six weeks thinking about what the Bible says on this topic. That's fruitful, so we do about once a year or so. Um, I'll ask around and sort of get a feel from people what would be most helpful. Um, but if that's all we did, then Sunday's teaching would be limited by our imagination, uh, by whatever sort of is top of mind for us. Um, we'd only be preaching through what we think is important, right? What we think is uh, a need for us, what comes to mind for me or for Adam or for you. And it would be unduly influenced by the arrogance of now, right? There is, there is an arrogance about our own circumstances. Um, but preaching expositionally, we let the Bible dictate what we need to hear. Um, it tells us what we need. It's this ancient book which knows nothing of your current life, like doesn't know your struggles, has no idea. It doesn't know about the culture or the economy or COVID or politics or anything doesn't know anything about it, but it is still, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, breathes out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so 2 Timothy 3.16 is a tenet of the Christian faith that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. We haven't decided where we'll go in 2023 after the 
um, series on wealth and then the Advent, um, but we could go anywhere. We could pick any book, and it would be really, really fruitful, really good. Um, we could pick Leviticus, and it would be fantastic um, to grow in holiness, to grow in an appreciation for sacrifice and atonement. It would be a very rich time and highly relevant, surprisingly relevant to our life here in San Francisco, 2022. Uh, when we preach expositionally, inevitably stuff comes up that I wouldn't choose, um, you wouldn't choose, stuff that I might even avoid, that I might think like, no, I'm actually not going to teach that. Um, but when we pick a chunk of scripture, it's really awkward for me to just skip a verse um, that you would notice that if I just like, oh, we're gonna just pass over that verse. And so we have to address it. Um, and we find blessing in it. When Paul said goodbye to the Ephesian church for the last time, he defended himself. He defended his ministry. He says, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is the last time he'll see them. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Expositional preaching is a way for me to guarantee that I preach the whole counsel of God, uh, that there's not any part of it that I avoid or leave out so that you and I might be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's the first benefit of preaching expositionally. We preach the whole counsel. A second benefit is that it allows us to sit with a book's themes for months. Uh, first Peter is redundant. Like there are a lot of things that he says the same over and over again. And topical preaching, if that's all we do, can trick us into thinking that we can master a subject in just an hour, right? Or even a series. We're doing a series on money. And at the end of that, we will all have like perfectly balanced budgets and be perfectly holy in our use of money. Like that's just not how sanctification works. Like that's not gonna be what we do. Um, sanctification works through discipleship. And in expositional preaching, by wrestling with a book for months, we aren't really trying to master a book where we become experts in 1 Peter. We are asking 1 Peter to master us. We're asking us to be shaped by that. And that is discipleship, right? To let someone else master you. To let Jesus master us, be our master. To let Peter be our master. And so for the past six months, it's like we've been sitting down with the Apostle Peter every week, invited back in time, invited into his house, learning from his life and the life of the early church. And as he speaks, often repeating himself, the book's themes become almost kaleidoscopic, where we're turning them over and over every week in our heads, in our minds, seen from different angles and perspectives. And hopefully we're changed. And a big part of that is we're changed together. That's the third reason that expositional preaching is so good is hopefully all of us are reading or many of us are reading scripture personally um, and each of us have our own methods where some of you might do this very thing where you study a book for a long time other people might read through the bible in a year where they're just really flying through it um, maybe you read more devotional books rather than less um, just unfiltered scripture, some of us just like bounce around. And so we're just like Psalm 26 sounds great today. And we just open it up. And all of those ways of engaging scripture are completely valid and they're really tailored to our personalities. And so are very good, very helpful. 
But on Sundays, we commit and decide to experience discipleship together, that we're going to have the same experience side by side as a church family. Uh, we do that in worship, in confession, in communion, in serving roles, and in sitting through the preached word. And that experience week in and week out knits us together and becomes a memorable place of unity. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, there are stories of big rocks being placed as monuments. Um, it's always kind of bizarre, you know, when you read something significant happens and, uh, you know, Jacob wakes up and it's like, I'm going to leave a rock here. <laughs> and, uh, but, but then if what it gives is, is this realization that there are rocks like spread around, spread throughout the Middle East that are still there. And there are testimonies to what God has done in that place. Uh, we sing the hymn, um, the line says, here I raise my Ebenezer, right? And uh, I always think Ebenezer Scrooge, but it's actually re referring to a story uh, in the Old Testament when the prophet Samuel wanted to honor that God helped the people defeat the Philistines. And so he put a rock and he named that rock Ebenezer. Um, and so when I raise my Ebenezer, I'm sort of coming back to those stories that God has helped me and saying, man, I'm, I'm remembering, I'm recalling. God is my helper. Uh, Jacob set up stones. Joshua set up stones in the River Jordan. There are 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel that are still there. Um, and they're still reminding uh, the earth and reminding us uh, that uh, God miraculously moved them across the Jordan River. They walked across the Jordan River um, at that time. These seasons of preaching are for me and for us a, a kind of stone monument, uh, where over the past five years or so, Citizens Church has walked through the book of Hebrews, selections of Isaiah, Ephesians, Ruth, the Gospel of Luke, the prayers of Paul, Haggai, the stories of Abraham and Joseph, Romans 8, and now 1 Peter. And it's really cool to think about a community that has, has walked through so much of Scripture and been shaped by it. Uh, some of you have been through, here through the whole thing. Uh, each of these books have shaped our community into who we are and what we care about. It's helped us encourage one another, love one another through crisis and hardship, challenge one another towards faith and holiness. It's taught, taught us how to talk about Jesus with our coworkers and neighbors and family. And I'm not an expert in any of these books, none of us are, but each book means something to me. And I can think about it in connection with the season that our church was in. Um, and uh, it's shaped me, consciously or unconsciously, so that my faith in Christ is stronger than it was before. And so I just wanna take uh, a few minutes to uh, allow us to have a conversation about what, feast, what First Peter might mean to us um, in this season? What will it mean to us in five years when we look back at it? What are some stones of remembrance that we want to place here so that every time we flip by it in our Bible, we remember how God met us? Um, I uh, have printed out the sermon summaries from the podcast. I just like sort of like grabbed them just to jog your mind if that would be helpful. There's also Bibles spread out. Um, Rain, um, some of you have met Rain. She purchased a box of Bibles for us, and so I'm really thankful for that. But anyway, uh, you can have it and sort of look through it. Uh, at the top of the sheet is 1 Peter 5.12, um, and it gives us, in Peter's own words, his reason for writing the letter. So he had a reason, um, and this is what he said. 
uh, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. How does that verse resonate with your experience of First Peter? So that's his stated reason for writing. And so I'm curious, do you think Peter accomplished his goal? Did he exhort and declare that this is the true grace of God and how so? I think one, one way that it strikes me is that hearing the different sermons throughout this series is that uh, Peter doesn't shy away from going right to the heart of what people are dealing with, the difficulties, mm-hmm. the struggles, their doubts and their fears. And yet at the same time, he addresses, he, and he doesn't, there's no shaming, there's no, how come this is happening? There's just, the answer is always brought back to look what Jesus did. Just, mm. You know, the, the grace that Jesus has brought us. And it's instead of, the, like as parents, sometimes, you know, we say, no, you should do this, stop doing this, do this. It wasn't that, it was just, it was more of a look to the incredible power and grace and goodness of Jesus and how he is, a, he is an example of how to deal with these things. You don't have to worry, you don't, and you, and you can find your strength and your power from him. Yeah. Not with your resources. It is such a striking phrase that he says, this is the true grace of God, as opposed to like the way of God or the way of faith. It's not how I would have written the description. This is the true grace of God. What's the apostle's stated goal for us? His goal was to declare that this is the true grace of God. What is his goal for us? In that verse. So just stand firm in it? Yeah, stand firm in it. So his part was to, to declare and exhort, and then he's inviting the church to stand firm in what he's declared. How do you feel prepared to accomplish that goal? To stand firm, like how did Peter help you in that? For uh, me personally, like for example, Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. and that's for us to act according one another to each other. Or what Peter did here is what's on the inside, and what he mm-hmm. feels for us is kind of like a mirror. So whatever we're feeling, he has it there. Mm-hmm. And this sheet just kind of gives you a recap of everything we covered, everything we went through to where. It's like, okay, we're feeling like this, no one understands. Peter understands Mm -hmm. and gave us that, okay, this is what it is, this is what you have to do, and this is already what he went through. So whatever you've seen and thought and thought no one can understand, this man understands. Mm -hmm. This is why he says this is the way, this is true grace, stand firm in it. That's how you accomplish, you know, your personal goals in your heart. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, just that the sympathy that Peter shows his readers and shows us helps us stand firm. It also, it, it also talks about how you got to show your love for others, even if people persecute you and mm-hmm. are against Christians, you still show love to others so they can see the God's love through that. Yeah, yeah, that's very much like what the book is about, right? It's it's. Um, just always being faithful and loving people and uh, no matter what happens to you. Um, and so that conviction, that sort of those mantras are really helpful 
Um, what would you say First Peter is about? Like if someone were to ask you in a not like you answer in a non-academic way, it's like not a test or anything, but it's like, hey, what is this generally about? What are the what would come to mind for you? I think for me, um, First Peter is about suffering mm -hmm. and suffering in light of um, different timings or different like temporal horizons. Like it's about, um, I feel like a lot of it is about how the present is shaped by a future and kind of bringing the future into the present and a future that is in God's control and how that shapes a present that we have some, not control over, but agency with it. But like the comfort comes from a future that is um, sure and beyond like the present sufferings. Yeah. Yeah, he's like regularly calling us to remember what Christ has done and to look ahead to the coming of Christ, the reward of Christ. Um, yeah, I think uh, in light of that, like, under what circumstances would you personally go to First Peter for help? So in the few, so you know, we're done, we're leaving First Peter behind. But then, under what circumstances would you say, "Man, I need to read First Peter again"? Um, and then also, under what circumstances would you take a friend to First Peter? What are things that would spur you to go back to this book, revisit it. I think it's a lot about identity. Mm. Um, it talks about Jesus as priest, prophet, and king. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we don't really talk about the priest school a lot. And yeah, like this passage specifically calls that out in us and names that as our identity. Yeah. And um, that's really big for me. I think I struggle with issues of identity a lot, and I think a lot of people do. Um, but this kind of role uh, that you were a royal priesthood, and I think it goes back to holiness, you're asking what the book is about. Um, I see holiness as a really big theme. That's really helpful. Yeah, and those things go together, right? Priesthood and holiness. Like, priests were called to be holy. Bad things happened to priests who weren't holy. <laughs> the Old Testament, very scary things. Um, and so the reminder uh, to be holy. What are some other situations where you would personally go back to First Peter or in your own experience that you've gone back to certain passages needing these verses. So painful to 
suffering is always painful, it's made more painful when it's surprising. It catches you off guard. If I'm expecting you to slap me across the face, it's one thing. If you like take me off guard and do it, it's really, really hard. So it's, a, it's such a great reminder. I really appreciated the uh, approach to humility that we talked about throughout. Mm -hmm. I think in Christians often talk about humility as if like um, it's a way that we kind of treat other people, but I think it's it's more about how we view the world and how uh, we like knowing our place and, and that whole. And and also I just appreciated some of the sermons where you did hit some thorny pieces mm -hmm. and humility came out in the way that we admit that it's hard and that these things don't always make sense, especially in our context, you know, and how do we approach scripture with humility uh, at the forefront? Um, I just, I just, and, and, and creating an environment here where we can grapple and I love, I'll, one of the things you said was something about like, the church is the context in which we disagree mm -hmm. in a way that um, helps us like grow, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 sees helps us to see the path forward. And I just think that that humility throughout First Peter, especially you know at the end there in, in kind of the middle of chapter five, was really special to me. So mm -hmm. I, don't know, I didn't answer any question you asked. There. That's great. <laughs> Very humble of you. Very humble of you to just say. Whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. I do want to make space. Yeah, I mean, I have these a few directed questions, but yeah, what what other things uh, came up for you? What did you learn or relearn? What what had you maybe learned a while ago but you forgot? Um, what was interesting to you? What still confuses you? Like, what are some things that still kind of bother you um, and are unsettling to you? So yeah, just any reflections. I'll just speak to one of those. Um, it's interesting. I think the verse that you put on the top of the sheet is striking me and is, it feels like capturing a lot of other things. So First Peter 5, 12, that last line there, um, the true grace of God stand firm in it. The idea of standing firm in grace feels hard for me. Um, Grace being unmerited favor. I I, I, I I guess the reason why it feels hard, one, it just feels like an oxymoron. Like, what does it mean to stand firm in grace? Yeah. Um, something that I didn't build, something that I didn't create, um, something that I didn't even earn. It feels like shifting sand. And so it places a lot of emphasis on the person who built the sandcastle and that's on, on me. Mm. And so that, that's striking me. Um, and the reason why it's striking me is because I, I think it, it like exposes the fact that I still, in a lot of ways, operate around the world. Like how I navigate the world is through trying to capture merited favor and like resting mm -hmm. a lot of my self-identity in that. Um, and if you know, God or Jesus wants to come along for the ride, that's great. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I think to the question of, like, why would I read First Peter again? Why would I read 
being able to stand in something that is not not dependent upon yourself and mm-hmm. feeling so secure that you can actually stand in it. That feels really challenging, but also compelling if it's true. Yeah. That's great. struggled with was this idea that like so much of the book is about suffering and in in particular persecution for your faith and I think we attempted to identify with that Mm -hmm. and to me felt pretty flat and I think this is something I struggle with in general like as a white dude like I don't know what it's like to be you know a pregnant woman who's thinking about abortion for example and like how how to think through like the agency that someone else never feels that I've always felt you know Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to like um, relate to other people is hard and especially when we're so distanced from the experiences of those in the early church like, yeah. and the persecution that they experienced so I just I, I don't have an answer I just never felt like we we tried to relate and I never felt like we did mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting because I had a little bit Sort of like recognizing some of my grief around circumstances. Like it wasn't just that I was like making the wrong choice. It was like, oh, now I'm choosing to like sacrifice in this way for the kingdom. It's not persecution for what I believe, but it is like a swimming upstream in a way that costs me something real. And so it was like helpful to name it as like identifying with mm-hmm. with what Peter is, is talking about rather than just like I think I didn't take the right adulting class or like I'm in the wrong lane of life like that's a feel for me but like oh no I'm like actively trying to use my money in this way or my time in this way mm-hmm. for the sake of the kingdom but yeah I didn't I mean the persecution is not yeah yeah, but it's important to like name the costs and the reason behind the costs that it's not just accidental um, or like tough luck, you know. Um, some of our circumstances might be that, but some of it is because of conscious choices of faith. It did call up for me um, maybe a, a bit of like squaring the two of like what forms of persecution are just um, imaginations in my head. Mm -hmm. So like one practical uh, thing that uh, happened during this series, um, we had a friend over and for some reason I was like, man, a high school friend, um, uh, we always debated about whether the Bible was true and she was always a person that like just gave me a lot of crap for what I believe. Um, but she was in town and wanted to, to meet up. And so we had her over for dinner. And I really wanted to pray, like, during the dinner table. Like, everything was spread out. And I was like, no, that would be really weird. And remind her of how awkward I was in high school. <laughs> I actually remember using that word, awkward, which was yeah. something you talked about. <laughs> Man. And the thing is, like, for me, I was just like, I felt so persecuted inside. And just like that back and forth. 
But it was all in my head. It would have been totally fine if I prayed. She would have thought I was weird. Nothing would have changed. But uh, yeah, it was. It, I, I think it was good to like realize the ways that I impose people's perception of whatever church writ large onto me, even though they might know me, right? Um, and so trying to like break down the walls of like what is one, what is real person. The persecution is a is a spectrum. There are parts of persecution that I will never experience, but then there are parts of persecution that I should be experiencing and not even giving myself an opportunity because I I've created all these walls. And then there's certain things that aren't actually persecution. I've just persecuted myself and have put myself in a cage unnecessarily. So. Yeah. Reminds me of like a, a therapist's question, you know, who would say like, what's the worst that can happen? And they want you to actually like narrate like, oh, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then a lot of times, you know, the solution is like, oh, it's like, it's, it's, either, it's like not that bad. But even here, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? First Peter could happen, you know, like the stuff that they were talking about, and they were fine, <laughs> you know, and like this is the counsel that Peter gave to people who were suffering like tremendous levels of persecution, and so then I can sort of map that back into my like tiny little like imaginative. It's like, oh, I, the Lord is still great and and good and gracious and powerful. Um, it it's helpful for us to. And not dismiss. It doesn't dismiss our own struggles. Um, it should encourage them even more, really. What, um, what's something that you don't want to forget? Um, and what's something that you hope our church doesn't forget? And that sort of stone, like what stone will you, what Ebenezer will you like put down? from this last season. And you're welcome to actually, you know, I mean, we're talking about First Peter, but you can venture out to anything, like, as you reflect on the last six months. Like, what are the things that you're like, man, I really want to remember this. I was really moved by the location, location, location sermon. Just the idea of, like, this sunk cost of following Jesus, how we can kind of just be in the inertia of this is the group of people that I've identified with for two decades, and I'm Even saying that, I feel like, though, what does it mean to be the righteousness of 
Mm-hmm. But at the same time, too, I do get it. The fact that I got to keep reminding myself of my identity. I can. I need to keep reminding myself that I am righteous because of Christ, and because of that, I can then step into my identity. And that just feels like a lifelong mm-hmm. battle and process. But I feel like it's one that Peter is constantly, whether overtly or not, was constantly. Mm-hmm. To like, you know, like, you know, things work out for good, you know, kind of stuff like that. But wow, what does that look like to be identified with the righteousness of Christ? I, I'm still trying to figure that out, but that's the language I feel like I need to hear and I need to be speaking. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being struck by like the first thing that he leads with is that you're born again, you know, and that that's just not something that I like think of myself and like to remind myself like man I'm born again um, or to remind other people like remember you are born again you have new life new family new everything new identity um, you know what are the things that he's that Peter says to struggling people that I don't say to myself and then I don't say to other people I just really want to remember Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When did <laughs> that's no? I did. I want to Ebenezer. We just put that stone right here. You guys should have been in the car on the way here. Oh. <laughs> it's like lots of questions. Sorry. Yeah. It's great. I mean, she'll remember. When did you learn that word? The church. When I said it into a microphone.
speaks about humility. I think also seeing how confusing that with weakness. Um, mm-hmm. But also, yeah, it almost is <clears throat> like a way of relying on more of like an inner strength and strength on God by being secure and being humble. And even when things are hard, It's like, okay, that's definitely something that I feel like can take a, a hit to pride. Um, and especially just like in current day in the culture. Uh, but yeah, realizing that that's actually their strength in that and being able to, yeah, be humble and serve one another um, and rely on God's strength. I have my That stuff flies in Kentucky, it does not fly here. That's a great transition um, as we conclude the book. Um, really quickly, just wrapping up with three important facts about Asia Minor, um, to which this letter had been written, these churches, these original Christians. Remember, he was writing in verse 1, he says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So it's like the Turkish, like modern-day Turkey, that peninsula. Um, uh, and so first fact is that after First Peter was written, their suffering would get a lot worse. And so at this point, it was really kind of organic and, um, you know, ostracism, occasional mob violence, maybe. Uh, but in a few years, they would suffer 
the terror of Emperor Nero, who was the first emperor to lead organized killing of Christians, including uh, killing, that's when scholars believe that the Apostle Peter was killed. Um, Forty years later, um, there's a letter from Asia Minor, from Pliny the Younger, uh, who would write to the emperor about how to deal with Christians, and, and Trajan, the emperor, wrote back and said that although Christians should not be searched out, people who were accused and proven Christians were to be killed unless by worshiping the Roman gods they proved they were no longer Christian. Um, and it would be like this or worse off and on for about 250 years until Constantine declares Christianity like a permissible religion uh, at the Edict of Milan. And so it, it, the first fact is that, man, suffering gets worse for these Christians. Um, second, though, second fact is that Christianity grows stronger in the process. Um, specifically Christianity in Asia Minor, in this region of the world, um, these churches would develop into a Christian stronghold for a thousand years. And uh, Asia Minor is where Nicaea, Constantinople, Chalcedon are located, and those are the cities where the church gathered uh, to form the creeds that we read. And like these are the Christians um, who helped us articulate how it is that God is Trinity, that he's three in one. What does that mean? How is it that Christ is both divine and human? Um, they, uh, we just can't overstate the importance of this region of the world. Um, and it's all because these elect exiles, uh, stranded, suffering, um, would stand firm in their faith. Um, they stood true. Um, to the true grace of God. They followed First Peter's counsel. They passed his counsel on to others, and they'd have ups and downs for sure. Um, Second Peter, if, you, if we were to go on, is about false teachers, and so they had an influx of false teachers that they had to sort of uh, deal with, corrupting the message of Christ, but um, in the end, they held on. And so you just wonder, man, what could be the testimony in San Francisco if citizens and other churches um, were to stand firm uh, if we were to be that humble, confident presence, um, yeah, just really wanting us as a church to remember the humility that um, Jared was talking about um, and, the, and the strength that's in the humility. I played piano for um, years and you always wanted to play the like big, huge pieces. Like that's what you wanted to do, but those are actually much easier. Like when you had to play the like light, um, very soft, it takes a tremendous amount of strength and I would, was never able to do it. It's only very accomplished pianists who are very, very strong that can play lightly. And so as we find strength in Christ, like, and then we can move about the world and play really lightly um, and appealingly to people as we share Christ with them. Um, and, that, uh, and so you just wonder, man, what could San Francisco look like in 100, 200, 300 years um, if we stand firm in what we know, if we believe and confess our belief? Um, and then last and most important fact is these Christians are alive right now. Like they are experiencing the presence of the Lord. And so uh, it is true, First Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, they suffered for a little while, but now the God of all grace has himself restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established them. Um, man, imagine their experience, like what it's like to be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Uh, those adjectives all have the connotation of firmness, 
right? They are settled. Suffering is so unsettling. Life can feel so tenuous. Um, the first Peter's listeners were slaves being abused by their masters, wives oppressed by their husbands, citizens being beaten by their rulers. Um, so difficult. But now the God of all grace has restored them. He's given them back the dignity that was robbed from them. He's confirmed them, setting right what had been broken and wronged. He's strengthened them, nursing them back to health and vitality, joy, and hope. And he's established them so that their strength is permanent um, and they will never experience suffering again. Um, he did this for them and he'll do it for us as well because he has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Uh, not because we're perfect, but because he is gracious. Um, and so we want, I'm just gonna close uh, by reading the Nicene Creed, uh, which was written in 381 in this region uh, by the great, great, great spiritual grandchildren of these saints. Um, and then we'll uh, wrap up. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. This is the true grace of God. Let's stand for a minute. Dear Father, we are thankful for your kindness to us. We're thankful for the letter of 1 Peter and the opportunity to read and study and reflect and be discipled, be mastered by it uh, over the last six months. I pray that you would um, help uh, us to continue to be shaped by it, to remember um, to move about the world with humility, uh, to remember our identity in Christ, to remember that uh, we are born again, that we're priests, um, that we're filled with the righteousness of Christ. Um, help us to remember to follow you, uh, to remember the... Uh, cloud of witnesses uh, who've gone before us and are still going throughout the world uh, to remember the enemy that we have and Satan, just all the things, Father, uh, would you help us to remember those things and that they would shape us in our ministry and bring fruit. Um, we love you. Uh, thank you for loving us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.